Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Duke Loves Wrestling Podcast, Isaac Bell of the Unbounded Podcast. He's talking Impact Wrestling. Should be a fun conversation there. Also, we have Shiloh Greaves, an indie wrestler who is transitioning into behind the scenes because of a terrible injury. And that's just the beginning of the story. See, Shiloh Greaves is the son of the man who wrote and originally performed the song, Take a Letter, Maria. (laughs) Yeah. This is an interesting one today, folks. Definitely something you don't want to miss. But before we get to any of that, check out this special message. If you are a content creator and you want a great program that provides studio quality sound, especially when you're doing interviews, then I encourage you to check out Zencaster. That's right. Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. It is my absolute favorite program to record with. I encourage everyone to check it out, okay? Visit Zencaster.com for more information. Enjoy. You're locked in. Look at what we have here, folks. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. My name is Ignorant Shiloh Grease, and you are listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. I have been in the wrestling industry for over 15 years, and the reason I'm still in it is because I feel that it needs someone like me more than ever before. Why? Because you have a business with no direction. You have wrestlers with no direction. I am the compass of pro wrestling. You put any wrestler in my hands, they will have direction. Well, that's that's really interesting. The way that you phrased that there, Shiloh, you put any wrestler in my hands and they will have direction. What is it about you and your ability to lead, your ability to mentor, your ability to help others reach their potential? Where does that come from within you? I believe that my biggest strength is also my biggest flaw. I am a person that runs off of emotion. Um, And I believe it is a strength because I know how to elicit emotion out of an audience. I know what makes people emotional and I know what can really make someone tick. However, it can be a weakness in the aspect of, you know, nobody should lead life dictated by emotion it's not a logical thing to do um but when it comes to the wrestling aspect of things yes uh wrestling has lost a lot of emotion you have a lot of guys they're putting on great performances but these performances lack emotion and that's where i think i come into the fray where i could be like okay let me figure out something about this guy what are his biggest fears in life what is the most traumatic thing that's happened to him? Because whatever's happened to him 
it's probably happened to another member of the viewing audience. That's how people relate. That's where people start to develop an emotional attachment. That's why Vince has to use guys from the 90s and the 2000s so much still, because those guys were given an emotional attachment to their audience. And that attachment to this day is still there. That's why if Randy Orton decided to show up somewhere one day, you know, wherever, that would be the biggest news. Because if anyone, if there's any wrestler, active wrestler right now that has an emotional attachment with the audience, it would probably be him. Who are some of your mentors? Who, who are some of the people who have helped you realize uh, who you truly are in pro wrestling and, and have helped you get to this point now where you're starting to give back to the next generation? I was trained by the Anawai family the Fatu Anawai family, the Samoans. Um, and I was also trained by Gangrel. They definitely taught me a lot of the aspects of um, working safe, for one. You know, and I think that's one thing that's been abandoned big time by a lot of the, uh, the younger crew is these guys just do not work safe. You know, you got these guys kicking each other full force in the head and calling it strong style. You know, and then they go on Twitter talking about we've made progress. No, y'all haven't. It's gotten it's almost gotten worse in the ring. So but back but back to the mentor stuff. Yes, the, those were those were my main set of mentors. Um, I departed their influence around around 2015. That was when I began to uh, do go my own direction and do things and when it came to developing that emotional side to things, that's, that's when I started learning all that stuff was when I got to really start applying what they taught me into the real world. You know, it's interesting that you talk about um, injuries because you personally have experienced a, a, a very terrible injury and unfortunately an uncommon, a uh, common injury in wrestling. What happened to you that has really adjusted your trajectory in pro wrestling? Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people can say, you know, it, it goes back to that interview that Daniel Bryan had, Brian Danielson, whatever you want to call him. Uh, you, you remember uh, back in like 2016 where him and Miz got into it on the Talking Smack show? It was fantastic. I, that was one of my favorite Miz promos, quite frankly. Yeah, I'm Miz. That's the best way to describe it. Because they hated him for working safe, but they're going home and having seizures. And then going on podcasts talking about my head, my head. You know, like it, it gets to a point where it's like, you know, I, I can't listen to people like that no more. You know, I got into this to support my family. Not to have a five-star match, not to go out there and please Dave Meltzer. I got this to get to get paid, to get paid and make things better for everyone else. So, so again, what happened? Concussions, concussions. You know, it goes back to that strong style stuff. And I remember that stuff really kind of it really started increasing. You know, just the the more you started seeing the Japanese guys start to get more attention. You got guys that are just starting to throw like 
it just got rough. Like I remember the one that really took me out though. Uh, it was the trouble in paradise, the Kofi Kingston kick. That kid came up and he hit me so hard. I just remember. And the worst part was I had to get on a plane right after that. So it was like, I just remember the symptoms from that lingered for so long. And I just remember thinking, wow, like a lot of these guys really haven't had that injury happen to them yet. You know, and that was, yeah, that. And to this day, you know, even like, you you know, I, I completely trailed off on the question. Sometimes I'll completely forget what I'm doing. I'll be driving to the grocery store and I'll forget that I'm dr- where I'm going. I'm like, wait, why did I leave the house today? You know, like stuff like that happens, you know, and at that point, that's where I'm like, OK, it's probably time that uh, that I start to dial it back a bit in the ring. That's deep. That's that's very, very deep. So concussions. Walk me through this. I've I've never knowingly had a concussion. I've, I played football when I was younger, baseball, basketball, that good stuff there. I've broken bones, plenty of broken bones. And in football, I mean, I was I was a guy that loved to hit. So I was fortunate enough that I never experienced this thing, these this head trauma, at least knowingly, because I, I don't really get headaches in life or anything like that either. So I'm, I'm very curious. And, and just so you know, on this show, the topic of head trauma, CTE, concussions, I've been covering this since day one. And, and shout out to Big Vito Lagrasso. Yeah. Um, great friend of the show, someone who's part of the concussion lawsuit and someone who's a big advocate for concussion awareness, CTE awareness and what have you. So so this is this isn't anything new for us to, to broach this topic. But from in your experience, walk me through some of the challenges and some of the, the experiences that you've had once this head trauma happened. <sighs> I, so the first thing that would happen was it, it, there was that pressure. There was like that, that pressure, uh, like it felt like there were two fists and they were just squeezing my head together. That was, that was one of the things that persisted for like the first two weeks afterwards. Um, to be fair though, I was also very anxious about it because I knew I had taken a bad hit. So mentally, my brain was laser focused on the injury. So I think that may have made my symptoms a little bit worse than what they should have been. But I think the other one, you know, in case you're uncertain about a concussion, another thing to look out for is that uh, that copper taste in your mouth. It it tastes like Edge said it best. He says it tastes like you got a mouthful of pennies. Um. You know, it's almost like a a little bloody feeling in the mouth. There's that. Um, And then, of course, you know, like when you look at the long term effects of it, and that's where concussions get scary is because you're not going to really see the long term effects of these concussions until about 10 years after they happen. You know, so that's why, you know, you're starting to see a lot of those UFC fighters from the that early era you starting to watch them on these fox sports shows and they can't put together a sentence you know like you're starting to see that happen now it's like oh there it is catching up you know so i'm actually i'm terrified for this coming generation of wrestlers what they're going to be sounding like by the time they hit 40 
because they're putting in such a high amount of abuse on their bodies and they're so young because now these guys are younger getting into it. When I started, I was 13. That was very rare. I, I think that was one of the things that got me over actually was I was a teen wrestler. Now they're everywhere. Now there's teen wrestlers left and right and they're taking this abuse. And I'm just like, oof, good luck, man. Good luck. That's just a heck of a story, uh, Shiloh. And, and we're barely scratching the surface here. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting about you as well is that you've spent time in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, not only do you have friends and family there, but you wrestled in the UK. So you left the United States for a period of time and you went over there and checked out the scene in the UK and shout out to all of our listeners over on that side of the world. You know, we have a, an international star here with uh, Shiloh grief. So this, this is fun. Talk to me about the UK before we even talk about the wrestling, talk to me just about the, the atmosphere of the society back when you were there and, and, and just generally speaking, how that compares to, where you're from, you know, in the in the uh, the West Coast of the United States there, you're from California. How does it compare being over in England and some of these other places? It was uh, England was very gloomy and gray. That's one thing. However, the society was much. It was much more peaceful. It, it was a much more peaceful place. People were more civil out there people had a a higher level of mental just overall mental stability it really opened my eyes to how really messed up not just california but the whole state of america was when i had moved there actually we were in the middle of the 2016 election and we all saw how big of a mess that was and i remember not gonna lie i was i was just embarrassed to have to even explain what was going on over here you know, and it, it was just like, yeah, it, it was it was hard to watch, you know. So then, you know, out there, their uh, food is a lot different. It's more bland. A lot of the uh, food chemicals that are allowed in the States aren't allowed in their food out there. That's one thing that I also noticed. Um, people, the the family, families are more intact, not just in the UK, but all of Europe. Just the traditional family, the husband, wife, you know, homes are, are much more stable out there for sure. I'm trying to think, well, what else there was? Oh, everyone dressed the same. Everyone dressed the same. And I swear to God, I met about 32 guys named Callum. I kept count, actually. I had a Callum count. I, I, Callum. So I, how, do you, how do you spell that? C-A-L-L-U-M. I swear to God, I met 32 people named Callum. Okay, so you know here in the United <laughs> States, there's there's a whole bunch of Billies and Bobs. So you, the, Callum was the was the big name over there. Huh? Callum, Callum and Joe, not Joe, Joseph, just Joe. Yeah, Joe. Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not Joseph, not Joey. It's Joe. <laughs> yeah, That's just funny. Joe, man. <laughs> now, now you said the food was kind of bland. Talk to me more about the food. What, what, what were you loading up on? While you're out there, because that's always a challenge. And when I talk to wrestlers who have taken extended time in other countries, one of the challenges is to find food that, you know, legitimately fits your palate and that you can get your nutrients and get 
what you need and still enjoy it on a, on a regular basis. So generally speaking, what was some of the stuff that you were eating on a regular basis? And I'm not even talking about at home. I'm talking about some of the, the sit down restaurants, the fast food restaurants. What was like a typical meal uh, for Shiloh Greaves while you're over in England? Man, I was that I was eating horribly out there. Let me tell you, because I was, it's no excuse, but I was on the go so much. I was also partying a lot too, but yeah, I was on the go so much. Like everything I was eating was out of a gas station or a liquor store. It was just, or a McDonald's, you know, but even the McDonald's out there tasted different, you know, like, I'm not going to lie. It actually tasted like a, a more real burger, surprisingly. Um, and it was bigger. The, so the burger was bigger, but the cups are smaller. Now, that's another thing I noticed in Europe. All their portions are smaller. A large in Europe is like a small here. That's really interesting. So, so you were eating terribly. Other than McDonald's, what was like the, the big go-to thing for Shiloh? Oh, man. Uh, a lot of eggs and pasta. Yeah, I was okay, eating I mean, a lot of eggs, a lot of pasta. That's pretty normal. I'm expecting you to say, I'm uh, expecting you to say, you know, uh, what's the name of the place where they have the uh, sausage rolls and, and, and oh yeah, Lincolnshire like sausage. Yeah, yeah, I'm expecting you to say that, but you're like, ah, just just eggs, potatoes. Yeah, I never, <laughs> yeah, I never liked sausages like that. That, that was just never my thing. Got it. Got it. So you didn't have like a Greg's. I, I know Greg's is like their version of Starbucks or Dunkin Donuts here. You didn't have any of the Greg's coffee and sausage rolls. I did not. But I did have a lot of fish and chips, though. That's for sure. OK, now now, now tell me the truth now, Shiloh, because, you know, you're a West Coast guy, you know, Compton, L.A., the whole nine yards here. You've had fish and chips throughout your life. How are the U.K. fish and chips? You're, you're literally in England. Okay, you're literally in the place where this is supposed to be the big deal. Tell me the truth. Is it as as big of a deal as they make it out to be? I'm I think I had better fish and chips here straight up. And I'll tell you why. I think it's the same effect that like seafood in New Orleans has, because everyone I know that went to New Orleans always said about the seafood like it was the most mid seafood they ever had. So it's one of those things where it's like the places that are known for it. I think they manufacture so much of it. They're almost just like, all right, fuck it. You know, like they're just like here, you know, here's more, you know. Well, Shiloh Greaves just uh, gave us some breaking news here. Fish and chips in England is not as not as slapping as folks like to believe it is. Okay, so that's going to be front page material. Shiloh, you're probably <laughs> going to get canceled for saying that just so I you just know. Might. I just might. <laughs> TMZ, you know, sometimes they cover the uh, things that are said on this show. So. That, that might be breaking news. Harvey might have to do a whole thing on you uh -oh. dissing fish and chips. So um, uh -oh. this, this is a, this is a big deal here. Do you think it's because they don't season the batter? Because it, it still comes back to seasoning, right? You're And, you know, that's another thing. They don't season their food out there. They invaded the whole world for spices and don't season nothing. Incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. You got to walk around with your own... Uh, you know, you, your own garlic powder and, and tahine and, and some of these other things just to kind of get a little kick, right? Yeah. And that's that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. So so you you spent time in the UK. You you you're a West Coast guy, um, trained by by 
Gangrel, Rikishi, you know, the 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 um Samoans, you know, the Samoan dynasty, basically, that whole family there. You're you're part of that lineage in terms of being trained and mentored by these folks. I mean, that's a hell of a story there. Now, what's what's interesting is that you have a family story that's pretty wild as well. Tell the world who your father is. Uh, my father is R.B. Greaves. He is uh, the nephew of Sam Cooke, or he was billed as the nephew of Sam Cooke. We're actually still trying to figure out if that is true or not. Um, but he made the hit song Take a Letter, Maria, came out in 1969, and it was number two on the billboards in the United States. So, so this, is, this is a very big deal here. Everybody, if you've ever listened to an oldie station in your life, you know the song Take a Letter Maria. Um, Tony Orlando made it a, a big hit, but Shiloh's father created that song and, and originally sang that song. And come on, guys, some of you young folk listening, you may not know, but, you know, people who have a little age on them, if you're over 30 years old, come on, take a letter, Maria. <laughs> Address it to my wife. Say I won't be coming home. Gotta start a new life. Okay, I can't sing like uh, the late great R.B. Greaves, but you know that's my version of the song Shiloh. Um, I know that you're connected in the music industry, so maybe you can get me a deal because if after after watching verses and seeing how some of these guys were singing, I think I can I can at least stand up to uh, Ray J and, and, and Jeremiah and some of these guys here. Can you get me a record deal so I can cover your, your father's song? You are absolutely amazing. And I am going to do what I can to make that happen. You did a lot better than I did at music. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, put me over. I love it. I love it. I mean, this is <laughs> this is crazy, man. Your, your father is a big mu music star. And in fact, uh, he's part of music history. Like legitimately, that's considered one of the greatest songs of all time. Which is really, really, I think in terms of R&B as well, I think it was technically classified as R&B. It's way up there. Like, I think it's one of the more if it's not top 50, it's got to be a top 50 song. So. How weird is that, man? I mean, is that is is that does it strike it's you as, weird. as being weird at all? I'm, I'm calling it weird, but is it weird to you? It is because the the man that I see singing in those videos was not the man that I knew. He had me at such an old age. He was about my dad was about 25 years removed from that song when he had me. So it was, you know, like it, by the time, you know, I was old enough to, you know, realize who he was. He was about 30, 40 years removed from that song. And, you know, he was just a completely different person. You know, my dad had a beard. The person that was singing was clean shaven, had short hair, you know, like it was just it was literally like looking at a different person. And I, I knew nothing about his even to this day. I still know nothing about his past. And it's frustrating. Well, it's got to be frustrating because, again, you know, to hear me talk about your father in such glowing terms and, and even offline, we talk because I'm a, I'm a music guy. So I, yeah. I know of his career. I know of his music and, and think fondly of it. 
So like you said, the fact that so many years removed, that's when you came along and you grew up with a totally different person who it doesn't sound like he necessarily wanted to relive those glory years. He was kind of over it, huh? He wasn't. You know, he had such a horrible drinking problem. You know, even before I was born, he he was drinking himself into an early grave, you know. So it was one of those things where he, yeah, I sensed that bitterness. You know, even as a child, I sensed that bitterness. And when I began to follow the same path, that bitterness, it, oh my God, it exploded. It, he made me hate music. That, that was the thing. He made me... Cause I, I played bass, but I only played for about a year because I swear to God, like whatever Michael Jackson was experiencing in that studio, it felt similar, you know? And it was just like, God damn, like I thought music was supposed to be fun, you know? <laughs> but you know, once I put down the bass, I was 11. And then two years later I got into pro wrestling and yeah, he was definitely bitter about that. I don't think he really wanted me involved in anything that had to do with the performing arts, but it was just genetically wired into me, unfortunately. It's very interesting because despite the fact that your father had such a strong career, especially as a, as a songwriter and even to be billed is related to Sam cook. I mean, that means something. Yeah, it's huge. No one is going to put that moniker on him unless they truly, you know, felt for him and and felt that he deserved it and felt that it was something that could help him in his career, whether it's blood relation or not. Right. It had to do with his voice. I know for sure it had to do with his voice because he sounded just like him from a voice standpoint. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And but I heard one of his early mentors, at least on the American music scene, was Etta James, actually. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, and this is a, this is like new info, you know, that, that I'm like recently finding out, you know. So it's like I never knew that those two had any type of ties or anything like that. So that, that's just interesting to think about. Well, you got to remember all of these folks because of the the time in history, they're all very close to each other and very protective of each other. It was a very small community. Exactly. Very small, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and at that time, I mean, your father was in, he was on the West Coast at that time, right? That was really his his he, base of operation? He, he was. And I think, um, I don't think he was prepared for what was going on on the U.S. West Coast at the time. Because, like, for like, he even told me, like, he would hang out with people like Richard Pryor, Red Fox, stuff like that. It goes back to like what you said. It was a very small community, you know, so all of them really did know each other. And, you know, it was so different because here's my dad coming from mainland Europe. Well, he's from the Caribbean, but he spent a lot of his time in mainland Europe, you know. So he basically came here in the middle of civil rights in the middle of all that stuff that's just like exploding at the time, you know? So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a culture shock for him. And I think that actually led to him being a little bit detached from that community. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. And I, and I can relate to that. I mean, 
you know, as a first generation, um, my mom is originally from Jamaica. Right, so right. That whole, there was something about when our parents or, or even grandparents are from outside of the country, and especially the Caribbean, some of these places here. Right. The sensibility is different because... It, it, especially in our community, because, I, and that's one thing being in Europe, like really taught me, I was like, okay, African Americans ap- operate a lot differently from African Europeans. African Europeans operate a lot differently from Afro Caribbeans. You know, it's like, it, it's such a, you really do see the, the culture switch. And listen, we're, t- we're tapping into something that people from outside of our community would never understand. I mean, a, a lot of folks out there, they speak as if black folk are a monolith, as if we, yeah. we all just think <laughs> one way. We all just do things one way. And, and that's and it's like just exactly what you said. It's very, very different. Those that identify as, quote unquote, African-American and those of us who are, you know, Afro, Afro-Caribbean, let's say. Um, yeah, it's different. It's very, very different. And, and the possibility. I don't view what's possible as impossible. Yeah. And let me explain what I mean by saying that people are very surprised by the range of guests that I have on this show. People are very surprised when Mm -hmm. they watch me online and they see the range of people that I interact with. And it's like, there's no restrictions for me. I was never brought up to believe that I can't interact with everybody, regardless of if we agree or disagree you and I can find common ground. We can interact with each other and we might even be able to do business together. Um, but there are a lot of people who are taught, oh, we can't do that. And oh, that's, you know, they, they hate us. So we can't do it. And it's like, yeah, they might hate me. And I don't really give a damn if they hate me. Are you going to, are we going to do this business or not? Are we going to, you know what I mean? Are we going to collaborate on this thing or not? Of and, course. And I think that that comes back to how you're raised and what are the, the values that are instilled in you. And, and, and the biggest value is, are you being taught to have confidence, self-confidence, self-awareness? Um, are you being taught to actually believe in yourself? Because if you're not being taught that, then of course you're always going to feel like there are limitations to what is possible. Now we're black. Right. So we're discriminated against and we're treated like crap. We're public enemy number one. There's no question about that. But that does not mean we can't find a way to outmaneuver, overcome, bring about change. And it's not just a it's not just a dream. It's not just an idea. It's a real tangible thing that can happen. But if yeah. you constantly are, are being told or you, you're brought up to believe or you observed your own people not believing in themselves, then of course that's going to get passed down. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing that really deserves more time to unpack. And I guess one of these days I'm gonna have to do that on this show, even beyond what this sidebar you and I are having, but it's, it's interesting. Your, your father was an interesting guy. And I say that as a fan of music. Um, and you're absolutely right to be plucked in and, and, and put down in this country at the height of like the, the civil rights movement, so much racism and everything. And people are finally yeah. standing up and, and cause you know, racism 
was not as much of a focus where he was from. It had more to do with classism. Who had the money? You know what I mean? And, and then the, the racism, racism came after that, right? The right. Ra- so European racism, it, it may have been a little bit more intense just because there was so few of them out there. So when you saw one, it was like, it was the craziest thing ever. And then to add to this, he wasn't necessarily in those big cities either. He was in, he was in the real England, you know, the, the further North you go, the more racist they get. And they, he had, you know, he slept with a lot of white women and that made him very unpopular, not just in England, but when he got to the States, he recorded take a letter Marie in Alabama in 1969. Alabama was not a nice place in 69. It still ain't a nice place, (laughs) you know? So it's like, then there's a, oh my God, he used to perform in Tennessee. He kissed a pregnant white girl at a show one time in Tennessee and the place nearly rioted. You know, so, oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and the thing is, I never knew this to be this man. I never knew this rebellious, you know, but it's like, then again, when looking at my track record, I'm like, okay. I can see a little bit of it now. Yeah, it all makes sense, right? Yeah, very interesting. It all it all makes sense. Well, this is this is really wild, man, because it it, it all circles back to who you are. Um, it's in you, the things that you know about and the things that you don't know about. But like you said, you just you react to things a certain way and you look at life a certain way, and it's it's all in you. How do you react to promoters that don't hold up their end of the bargain? And I ask this question because your father definitely dealt with that throughout his career uh, in music. People taking advantage, shady promoters, the whole nine yards. So for you as a wrestler, you've been doing it over 15 years now. And now you're, you're a guy working behind the scenes and what have you. How do you navigate that? Promoters and, 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 and bookers and what have you being shady navigate navigating it is hard because we don't live in the days anymore where you know you could uh hold a dude up for for the money you know it's one of those things where it's like now it's just it's a different culture you know people if if the guy doesn't have the money and he's just not there with the money it's like you're obviously not getting the money so it's useless to kind of sit and fight with him over it you know, so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, me, I just don't do work with them anymore. And the thing was, it was happening to me so often. That's why I was like, okay, I'm going to step back here and create an environment where the boys can get properly paid. So that's why I'm, you know, that's why I started taking more behind the scenes roles because I'm like, yeah, this here. It's become the status quo. Screwing the boys over has become the norm. And a lot of the time, because the boys accept it, that, that's, that's a big part of it. So many of the boys accept it. Now promoters think that's just the norm. So that plays a big part. But yeah, for me, yeah, eventually when I went through that so many times, I was like, yeah, that, that's enough. I heard every excuse possible. The crowd was, I think the best one I heard was the promoter lost the key he he had he had the money in a box and he lost the key to the to the thing and i remember i was so tired by that point i think i actually just came off of a flight back here to la 
and I was so tired and I was so done. I was like, you know what? Just freaking pay me next show. <laughs> you know? And I, I remember I just left and there wasn't a next show. Cause I, I remember I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. So yeah, I ended up just calling it a day. I tell you, man, you, you have a hell of a story. Um, yeah. <laughs> all of these things are just, it's wild, man. This is, this is wild stuff. Just the whole thing. Talk to me about your, your team, because I know that um, you have a great manager, you know, people looking out for you, people always looking for opportunities for you. I mean, how's that going? How does that feel to have people who are in your corner in such a great way? It's weird at times because it's like they they push me, they push me, you know, out of my comfort zone, you know, but the thing is, I choose when I leave my comfort zone. And the thing is, when I do venture out of that comfort zone, I venture extremely far out. So like they're always saying like, okay, Shiloh, do something, do something, do something. Then when I do something, they're like, oh, wow, he did something, you know, so so it's like it's one of those things where it's like i'm a i'll be honest i'm a slow mover i'm a slow mover i'm not the best self-starter um i have some attention span issues i've always had a hard time maintaining focus so that always delays a lot of the tasks that i try to get complete but um but yeah having my uh this team behind me uh like my buddy uh, david benson he's the one who set this up actually um him you know he's he's actually from atlanta but he's been following my career for years uh and eventually just started he just took on the role he was like fuck that i'm gonna get this guy somewhere you know when a lot of the times when i don't see anything in myself he sees it you know and at times it's just like shh, you know it's like oh man you know like like let me breathe let me breathe but it's like he understands where it's like that potential that's there. You know, there's also him. There's Deshaun Watkins. He's the owner of Comptomania. He also took me in when literally nobody wanted to touch me, you know, and, and that was, uh, you know, that was a rough time in my life. And I could honestly credit him with kind of keeping my career afloat at this point. That's deep. It's very deep. I mean, you're you're a pretty uh, multi-layered person. And again, this has been an interesting conversation that I'm sure people listening are, are, are even more curious about you uh, now. So why don't you let everybody listening know what's the best way that they can keep up with you, especially online? Uh, just continue to follow your journey, because I, I know that there's a lot more ahead of you than what's happened behind you. Oh, man. Uh, so. If they want to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram is at Shiloh underscore Greaves, just the regular name right there. And then uh, my Twitter account is at Ignorant Shiloh on TikTok. I am on there as Shiloh Greaves 98. Hey, everyone, this is Scotty Sparks, and you're listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, believers, hivelings, and everyone in between, I am the outlier, Isaac. I call myself the outlier because I have opinions and takes that may not go with the mainstream. 
And sometimes I'll catch hate for that. But every now and then I find people who agree with me. And I got to say, there is no place I would rather be right now. I was looking forward to this all week since we talked about it. And there's no place I would rather be right now than on here with you, Duke. I got to tell you, Manny. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Listen, it is always a pleasure to connect with someone that I truly respect and appreciate. I'm a big fan of your work. And certainly uh, your your co-host, Ant, shout out to Ant. It's my man right there. He's actually, yeah, you, know, you and I got to talk about this. Ant's in my private um, Facebook group, and I don't believe you are. So what the heck's going on with that? I don't stay on, I don't get on Facebook like that, buddy. I'm going to be honest with you. I really don't. So you think you're better than me? Is that what you just said? You think you're better than me? <laughs> Uh, Facebook's just too, it's too much for me, man. It's too much. Twitter is enough. I'm on Twitter and TikTok and Twitter is enough. I mean, I mean, you're on Twitter. You see what it's like. You yeah. know what it's like. Yeah. It's the wild, wild west. But see, that's why I had to create my own community, uh, on Facebook. It's a private Facebook group of just, you know, it's a lot of wrestlers, a lot of promoters, and then passionate fans who we all have a good time and have great conversation. And I'll tell you the funniest thing. The strongest voices in the in the group are the women. You know, there's a lot of women in that group and they they feel comfortable in there. There's nobody talking crazy to them, being overtly sexual or anything stupid like that, like you see in a lot of other spaces. Yeah. And it's important because my audience, probably about three years ago, uh, Isaac, it flipped. It, it became a, this became a show that was majority male audience to now I'm super majority uh, women audience. In fact, I just looked at my analytics recently because um, a sponsor, you know, we were doing some business. I'm close to 70% female audience on Duke Loves Wrestling. And that is just, it is not something that even makes sense because this is not a show about women's wrestling exclusively. It's a pro wrestling show primarily. Um, and I'm a man and I'm not a wrestler. So the fact that I have such a high female audience, it really defies a lot of logic, but in doing some market research from the listeners, one of the things that keeps coming back is that people enjoy real conversation, especially women. They, they want to hear real conversation, real people talking, regardless of if they're the biggest name in the world, or if there's somebody just starting off, they just like to hear intelligent, honest, open discussion. And that's why they enjoy coming back to this show. And that's a compliment. And in my group, it's reflected in there as well. So when we think about all the elements of Twitter, and most of it is pretty nasty, it's good to have spaces where the complete opposite exists, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of social media to me anyway. I don't know how you feel about social media, but I kind of like the fact that there is this it's like an open world where you can do anything. You don't have to listen to everything. You don't have to, you don't have to engage with everything. You can just stay in your bubble of whatever you want to listen to or in, interact with. You know what I mean? And that's why, that's why I love it. That's good. We can disagree about a lot of things and that's okay. But are you mature enough to be able to handle that? You see, in, in, in society today, there's just a lot of people that cannot handle the fact that somebody else could possibly disagree with them on something and they, they shut down like it's, it's, it's too much for them. And 
they'll start lashing out, call you everything but a child of God because you said that you like a wrestler versus B wrestler or that you, you know, you you're drinking a Mountain Dew spark instead of drinking a Diet Coke. I mean, there, you know, it's just it's foolishness. Um, it's, it's craziness. It really Absolute is. Chaos. And, and that's a nice little plug there. Tell me about this Mountain Dew spark that you drink, because I haven't had so one of those. Yet. I'm drinking all right, a Mountain Dew spark is like it's a. On the label, it says a dew with a blast of raspberry lemonade. So if you like raspberry lemonade, I imagine you do. You like raspberry lemonade, right? You know? I do, of course. And so, yeah. So if you like that, if you like Mountain Dew, and like I said, like I said before we start recording, it's the perfect blend of both. It really is. It's it's, it's sweet, but it's not like overtly like lemonade sweet. You know what I mean? It's like a perfect mixture of the two. I don't know how to describe it. I just know it's good. And I know I usually drink Sprite and I haven't had a Sprite in like months. <laughs> like this is the only soda I've drank in like the past couple of months because it's that good to me. You know, it's, it's really, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. That's awesome. That's, I don't know what else to tell you, buddy. You well, got to try it. If you haven't had it, you got to try it. Mountain Dew, you need, you need to get on the ball here. Uh, you know, <laughs> my man just said that he's enjoying your product. So maybe you need to send a case and, and, probably uh, a sponsorship there, you know, yeah, that's how it starts, Isaac. That's how it starts right there, bro. Oh yeah. Um, so you enjoyed, or at least you, you, you took the time to watch impact wrestling's latest pay-per-view slammiversary. That is correct. Yes. Admittedly, I had planned on it. Actually, I told you that I was going to be home to watch it because I wanted to pop onto your uh, podcast and, and do at least 30 minutes there. Unfortunately, with Juneteenth and Father's Day and everything going on, I was out and about with family and stuff, man. I just didn't I wasn't home in time to um, really enjoy it. And I didn't want to come in in the middle of a pay-per-view. Um, it just didn't make any sense to do that. So I figured, whatever, I know the, the following week I'm going to have some time. Let me check in with man Isaac and see, is this worth me watching? So before we even talk about the actual action, Give me your take from a general standpoint. Um, if you were making a decision on whether or not I should watch this pay-per-view, I should take three, four, five hours of my life, shut everything else down and just watch this pay-per-view this upcoming Saturday. Um, do you recommend that or do you think I should stay the hell away from it? Yes, I would tell you to watch it. And this is not, now mind you, I, like Duke mentioned, I am an Impact fan. I do love Impact Wrestling. I have a very special place for it in my heart. I'm not saying that just because of that. I'm saying this because it does it does nostalgia well. That is one thing I will say. It had people on there that did, that did, the company justice to what it was accomplishing. Because one thing I don't think people realize about the same anniversary, this wasn't just any same anniversary. It was celebrating 20 years of impact wrestling of TNA impact wrestling being a company. You know what I mean? Remember before it was like NWA slash TNA. Then it was just TNA impact wrestling. Then it was impact wrestling. Then it had that weird global force wrestling period. And now it's just impact wrestling, but it's 20 years of that. And that they did nostalgia well. That's the first thing I want to say. The second reason I think you should watch it is because every, I'm going to be honest here. Everyone 
except one deserved to win. Every, and we're going to talk about that later, which match we're ta- I'm going to talk about it later. But everyone who won their match deserved to win or, or it made sense for them to win. You know what I mean? And then, and then the third thing was it had, it, it surprised me. Something happened on here that legit surprised me um, because I was on the show with Ant. We did live reactions to it. And now the surprise may not seem all that big when I talk, when we talk about it, but to me, and based on our prediction, it was, it was big. It was big, you know? So um, I'm ready to break it down when you are. We're going to do something a little different here. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to go okay. match for match. I'm going to okay. zero in on a couple of key matches here. I want to okay. get your take on it long form. All right. So when I look at this card, uh-huh. the one match that stands out above all for me is that that women's match. The Queen of the Mountain. Or the Queen of the Mountain. Okay. okay. Because let me tell you something. I'm a big fan of, of Tasha Steeles. Uh-huh. I think she's I think she is just tremendous. She's trained properly. She's great on the mm-hmm. mic. I love the fact that she leads with her culture. You know yes. what I'm saying? Boricua yes. badass and all that. That, that, that. Bro, I'm all about it. That's a that's a solid wrestler right there. And that's somebody that you can build around. And sky's the limit for her. I think she's she's not even she hasn't even scratched the surface of what she can accomplish in wrestling. And I've been saying that for years. Um, right. So big fan of hers. I like Jordan Grace. Uh-huh. I think Jordan okay. Grace is an interesting uh, competitor. I'm, I'm a little I still feel like she should be competing more with the men. Um, and I know that some people are going to be pissed off at me for saying that because they don't like in, intergender wrestling. But for me personally, I think oh, Jordan oh, Grace, oh. her skills translate. You know, lucky for you, you're talking to a guy who enjoys some intergender professional wrestling. See, so so you get it. I mean, there's I, I get why people don't like it. But, you know, you're you're a military guy. I come from a law enforcement family. My mother did 35, excuse me, 37 years as a law wow. enforcement officer. She just recently retired nice. um, and she was out there and it didn't matter what gender who she had to interact was. And it didn't matter what her gender was. She was expected to serve and protect. And she did it for 37 years. So I know what a woman can do in this world. And and for that reason, it doesn't I don't need to suspend my disbelief in order to see a, a woman uh, fake fight with a man on TV. Exactly. So Yo, that, I've know. been saying that for a while when it comes to this. Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but I've been saying that I'm like, I don't I don't get it. I don't get what what is so mind-blowing about it for real well you know what it is it's 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 like it's like religion you're you're not going to deprogram somebody from believing whatever they believe no matter how extreme it could possibly be even even politically it can it can get into those spaces sometimes so i'm not i'm not trying to tell people that they're wrong for feeling the way that they feel but I'll tell you one thing. Again, we live in a society where women are out here doing jobs that men do, and they're doing it just as well, if not better, and dangerous jobs. So, again, I, you know, it's fake fighting. Like, I don't give a damn what anybody says. It's fake fighting. You actually okay? know one of, what one of my favorite wrestling matches of all time is? What's that? And I, and I recommend you to watch it, uh, find it. It was uh, Naomichi Marufuji versus Hikaru Shida. 
it was on Sheeta's 10 year anniversary in professional wrestling. Good match. Really, really good match. Okay. Good you know what? I'm going to need you to send that one to me, please, Isaac. I got because you. I got you. Because I, got you, I, I, you know, I didn't even know Sheeta wrestled that long. I didn't know that she was a 10 year vet and I respect her, her quality of, of wrestling. I think she is, is highly underrated, but um, yeah, I got to see that match and see what's going on because uh, I know that she was definitely undersized in that match. Her, her opponent is probably like, uh, as far as thickness is probably double the size of her, right? Uh, Marfuji. Yeah. yeah. He's, 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 he's no small man. I'm going to tell you He's that. a big muscled up bastard is what he is. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's good. But yeah, I'm telling you, watch it for yourself. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but watch, watch it for yourself. I'm telling you, it's a good match. That's good fun. Match. That's fun. So, yeah. So, you know, Jordan Grace, I think that she should be back in the men's division uh, or at least wrestling against the men. I, I, you know, I don't think that's unheard of. She could probably beat the hell out of most of them in real life anyway. And, and I love it's, Tasha Steeles. So so that match, that I was going to say, match. I was going to say it's so funny you say that about Jordan Grace, because in the few times she has competed for the X Division Championship, there have been a few and there have been a few. I have been like on the edge of my seat, hoping I hope they do it this time. I hope they do it this time. And you know what? Prediction. I think she's going to get it. She's, you heard it here first. Jordan Grace, future X Division champion. No, I even go even further. Jordan Grace, future Impact World champion. Yeah, I could see that. I could see it. I could see it. And I, you, you know, heard it here first. I, you know, there's one, there's, there's one thing I don't like about Jordan Grace. And I'm going to say this. And I think that for me personally, in my opinion, and it's like, well, who gives a shit about your opinion? But I'm going to give it anyway. It is what it is. Um, I don't like the fact that she that she refers to herself as being shaped like a meatball. I, I just I find that to be ridiculous because she looks great. And I think that she's an inspiration to a lot of people. And she continues to work on her craft. I know who trained her. I know who's worked with her through the years. I mean, she knows what she's doing in there. and She's she's highly intelligent as a wrestler and, and as a human being, even outside of wrestling. You know, she she works in a field. Um, outside of wrestling that requires a, a tremendous amount of responsibility and intelligence and abilities there in general. Um, so I didn't like that. I don't like her referring to herself as being shaped as a meatball. What the hell does that mean? It's like, you know, people will pay a lot of money to look like her. So if, if yeah, people, and, and I follow you know, her on Twitter. Yeah. I follow you know. her on Twitter and she, man, she is putting in work, man. Right. I saw she did like a, she did like that 10 year, difference between what you look like 10 years ago and what you look like now and that's it's amazing yeah absolutely and, amazing and, and here's the thing she has no shortage of of, of uh admirers male and female and non-binary oh, you know what i mean she does she never anytime she puts out a picture and talks about it's on her patreon or whatever the hell it is they flock so oh, yes you know oh, yeah. enough with the meatball talk jordan grace i think that's ridiculous you're you're fantastic yeah uh, on many levels and you know, I will say it to your face, give Jordan Grace more credit than you're giving Jordan Grace. Okay, Jordan Grace. Okay, I'm moving on from that. Please tell me about the match there, Isaac. How was so it? So this match, um, when I first heard of not just Queen of the Mountain, but King of the Mountain, I was very confused because I'm like, why are they, what, what's the point of putting the belt up, of hanging it up, you know? And then, you know, they explained it again, 
because I'd seen it before. I'd seen how it worked before, but it just the concept just never clicked, you know. But watching it, very well done. It was very well done. Um, like you said, you had you had pretty much about the most professional women to do this match for this time that you could. You had Deanna Perrazzo, you had Jordan Grace, you had Tasha Steeles, you had Mia Yim, and you had Chelsea Green. You know what I mean? Now, granted, they had Mickey James as an enforcer, which I don't I don't think you really needed Mickey James to be an enforcer. You know, you could have her on the show because it's slam anniversary. She's a big part of Impact's history anyway. But I mean, I guess if there was anybody going to be an enforcer for that match, I guess it would be her. But it was very, very well done. Very there weren't a lot of crazy spots. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you know. Wasn't a lot of waiting, if you know what I mean. There wasn't a lot of, you know, build to this next spot, build to this next spot. There were matches, like, the pins were coming quickly. Everything was flowing well together. And then in the end, uh, like, one of my favorite things was Mia Yim recreated the spot that Shelton Benjamin did at Money in the Bank, where she hits the shrug and then tiptoes up the ladder and hits the, hits the senton off, the top, off of it. And lands on to, and lands onto the crowd, you know, which was it looked great because she nailed it, you know. And then, you know, you had the, the ebbs and different ebbs and flows in the match. And one of my favorite things, and the reason why I said this before, I said this before. The fact that it went, it was necessary who won. Because Jordan Grace did end up winning this match. Spoiler alert. Jordan Grace did end up winning. And why she won made sense. Like I said, that was one of the things I loved about the show is that some of the winners either were necessary and they made sense. Jordan Grace winning here made sense because of the fact that when she did win the champion from Ty, the championship from Ty of Valkyrie initially, the knockouts championship, she it was in front of an empty crowd. Well, she won it in front of a crowd, and then her title reign was in front of an empty crowd. And then she had that that uh, good that feud with Deanna Perrazzo, where they had that Iron Woman match, and had their various other matches. And Deanna ended up becoming knockout champion. But it was in front of during the pandemic, so I thought that if she gets another run, it'd be it would be, there is no better time to do it here. And plus, on top of that, she's been on a roll. Jordan Grace has been on. She's had she was the first ever digital media champion, you know. But and she beat she beat she won that she won that gauntlet match to win that title. She defended it pretty good. She had some pretty fun matches against uh, Matt Cardona. You know, she had that brief tag team with Debbie Morrissey, which I kind of wanted to see more of. You know, and then you know she she was. She is in a prime position, and her winning here just made sense. Overall, the match was a good watch. Um, like I said, there was very – it flowed well together, and it just made sense who won. That, that's – it just definitely made sense who won to me. And I hope – I hope – hope she has a good reign coming, a good long reign coming. So, so I, I may watch that match first. You got me all – Hyped up now. This this sounds pretty good here. Okay, it was. Okay. It was like I said. It was no. It wasn't chaotic, you know, because you know a lot of ladder matches, they're chaotic. There's a lot of stuff going on, but this one kind of flowed. It was the flow of it. 
was very well done. And like I said, the winner was necessary. The winner was absolutely necessary. Fair enough. Now that spot that Mia Yim did, she did the Shelton Benjamin, uh, you know, flip off of the ladder. The, you yeah. know, the ladder was propped up on the ropes. And then she, she did that basically somersault yeah. onto her opponent's tail. What, what did you think about that? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. Like I, I saw it like the day after I saw it on Twitter that says that somebody highlighted the fact that she did that, you know? And then, and I thought the fact that what, and one of the things that Anthony pointed out to me, especially when it comes to spots like that, is like you just hope that whoever's that whoever's under catches her. You know what I mean? Because that that was my big thing. It's like, oh my god, just as long as you catch it. Like you said, you had five of the most professional women doing this, the most experienced women you could have in this company to do this match. You had them doing it, and they did it to perfection. You know, they did it to absolute perfection. They sure did. They sure did. That's good stuff there. So so let me ask you, because I told you that's the match that I had anticipated the most, the one that I wanted to see the most for you personally. Other than that match, the Queen of the Mountain, what match were you looking forward to the most and did it deliver for you? You're probably I want to say you're not going to like it, but I loved I love a good monsters ball match. I love a good one because they're always the people who are in them are always should be in them. You know what I mean? It was like how they used to do a hell in a cell match matches back in the day. Like you don't get a hell in a cell. You don't just get a hell in a cell match. You don't, you get a hell in a cell match. If you absolutely deserve it. Like when triple H and Sean had one in bad blood, 2004, now you can talk about whether it was good or not, but the fact that if the feud built to that and they needed it, you know, it was like that. That's what, this match was. It was between Moose and Sammy Callahan. You know, a returning Sammy Callahan. He had returned at um oh my gosh, I feel so bad. He he had returned at the previous pay-per-view. I feel bad for not remembering what it's called. But he returned there. And the thing, the interesting thing about this match was both men had spent 12 hours in the dark, no food, no water, no sunlight. So for 12 hours, and then they come out and have this match, like before the match even starts at the, at the start of, uh, after the video package plays, they open the door. You have two security guards open the door. Moose comes out. He's all stumbling around and trying to get his eyes readjusted to the light. And the guy security opens the door for Sammy Callahan. Sammy Callahan comes out there. Like, it's like, he was just spent, he just spent time in heaven. You know what I mean? Then they come out and their match absolutely delivers on the brutality of the feud because Sammy had gone out due to the injury, due to injury by Moose. You know what I mean? And it was just really good to see the amount of effort and violence put into this because Moose has been on a roll anyway. He was former. He's, he was just a former Impact World Champion, which was a really good run, you know. And then Sammy Callahan, Sammy Callahan definitely for this match had the air of uh, absence meets the heart grow fonder. Because while he was gone, all I did was think about, man, I can't wait till Sammy Callahan gets back. And he came back and he had the kind of match that only Sammy Callahan can have. And Moose. Was I'm not even gonna say Moose was along for the ride. Moose did it. Moose Moose did his work. They both did. 
They both put in work in this match, delivered an amazing, brutal fight that definitely lived up to the expectations of a monster's ball. Well, definitely. I, I have to say this. Um, I never liked Sammy Callahan. Okay. Okay. Um, and I know people that know Sammy and, and they speak so highly of him. They say he is legitimately one of the nicest people, gentle guy and what have you. So I want to make it clear that I'm not speaking about this guy personally. I, I trust in what people have said about him personally, respect to the, to the man, but the character walking around, spitting in the air, walking below the spit and catching it with his own face. This is a person that is a disgusting human being. Disgusting. A disgrace. Okay? Never liked him. Is When I saw this guy do this one time, he did that in a match with Tessa Blanchard once, and I wanted to jump through the TV and, 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 and just hit him with the damn garbage can myself because it's like, what is this guy doing? Just disgusting. Okay? So I never liked the guy. Anytime I see this guy in a match, I, I root for the other party. I don't care what the storyline is because any person that spits in the air and catches it with their face, just not my kind of person. So I was a little disappointed that, um, you know, it was what it was. And I know I, I saw that clip of, of Moose getting, you know, thrown on top of the trash can and everybody saying, yeah, good, because they don't like Moose because Moose has a habit of saying things that are easy to disagree with. Shout out to Moose. At least they're talking about you there, Moose. buddy. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of Moose because he played for the Patriots at one point, and uh, I think that's a disgrace. But outside of that, you know, it was what it was. It, you, you're absolutely right. That's not necessarily the type of match that I'm into, but for a card that is supposed to outline the history of Impact Wrestling, and Impact Wrestling has a rich history, it Very was necessary. Yeah, it was Very it was necessary to have that match. So so kudos to them. Who was your biggest surprise in terms of returning? Because there are a lot of OGs that were on that card, right? There were. I have I have I have three actually. I have three. First is the most obvious one of uh uh AJ Styles appeared, which considering now I didn't put it, wouldn't put, I didn't put it past WWE considering what they did at the Royal Rumble when they had Mickey James. And not only she did she appear, but she showed up with her Impact Knockouts Championship. On top of the fact when they showed her name, they had up there Mickey James Impact Knockouts Champion. So I'm not going to put it past them to do that. What I I was amazed that he did he was there. I was not amazed that he was there to say a few words because I'm thinking if there's anybody that needs to be here, it's AJ Styles. One of those things like I kind of hope he's there. And AJ Styles showed up. Second thing that surprised me, this is a big one. Uh Dixie Carter. I did not expect Dixie Carter to show up. Uh mostly because it's just you know, people kind of blame her for bringing in Hogan and Bischoff and causing that downslide they had in like 2010, 2011. Me, I've always been kind of indifferent towards Dixie Carter as far as like her as a uh, as a figure in Impact Wrestling. But um, it was amazing to see her. I was. And then the big thing that actually connects to Dixie Carter in the match, she actually introduced somebody for a match. It was the 10-man between 
the TNA originals, which were uh, Nick Aldis, formerly known as Magnus, or Brutus Magnus, part of the British invasion, Chris Saban, member of the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley, the other member of the Motor City Machine Guns, and then you have Frankie Kazarian, you know, formerly known as Kaz or Kazarian. And then I'm going to get to the fifth guy in a minute. And then they were fighting Honor No More, which was a which was Eddie Edwards, OGK, that's Matt Taven, and um, Mike, uh, Miracle Mike Bennett, uh, Vince, Vincent, and um, PCO. And then the surprise was Anthony and I predicted, okay, they haven't announced the fifth guy yet. And they interviewed the TNA originals backstage. And they're saying, are, and what the interview was like, are you going to tell us who the fifth person is? It's like, nah, we'll see it for yourself. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's Samoa Joe. You know, Joe is recently free. You know, he's he's not doing too much right now. I'm thinking, um, I'm, I was kind of hoping it might be P.D. Williams. You know, I, I started running through a list of people who were, were there since TNA's inception. Amazing Red, Low Key, um, you know, all those people like that. And to my surprise, to both of our surprise, it was Davey Richards, one half of, uh, of the American Wolves, or as they call him, the Lone Wolf, because Eddie Edwards is heel now. But yeah, uh, Davey Richards showed up, and that, that legit surprised me. It was good to see him, very good to see him, because he and Eddie had a face-off in the match. And I just know that whatever comes after this, I am 100% all in on watching Davey Richards and Eddie Edwards fight. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. That is, that is for sure. So yeah, it's was, it was good to see them. Good to see those surprises. Well, shout out to uh, Eddie Edwards. You know, he's a guy that is a Boston guy, Boston area guy. I think he's from Malden, Massachusetts, which is right outside of Boston. Technically can be considered part of greater Boston as we call it. Um, but I've always been more of an Ed, uh, a Davey Richards guy, more than Eddie Edwards. I, there's just something about Davey that I respect and like and, and enjoy. And Eddie, he reminds me of uh, one of those guys that I used to have to uh, throw hands with back when I was growing up around these parts. I don't know. So maybe maybe Eddie Edwards beat me up before. Um, I got to get a good look at him from from the past. He could have kicked my ass a few times. And maybe that's why I don't like the guy. Now that I think about it, because those those Malden folks, you know, we, we never really got along back in the day. They were orange line. I'm red line. You know, so, you know, Dorchester, Mattapan. We, we didn't really get along with Malden too much. Um, so I got to I got to talk to Eddie Edwards about that. Did you that's kick funny. my ass before Eddie Edwards? <laughs> we could talk about it as men today. Um, but if I find out that you did, then I'm probably going to put a bounty on your head as well. And that's just another story. I, clearly, I can't kick his ass. He, he'd kill me. But um, I might have to pay somebody to get it done for me because the, the beauty of doing podcasts is that you you end up making friends with a lot of people with muscles and who can get things done. Yeah. So, oh, know, yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah, to be absolutely. continued. To be continued yeah. on that. But yeah, that, that sounds like a pretty awesome match. I definitely am it looking was. forward it to was. seeing the Wolves, the Wolves uh, with some nostalgia there. That's, that's good stuff there. Yeah. Um, and that's the main thing about this show that I enjoy. And it blows my mind. And one of the things I had to keep bringing up to Anthony while we were doing the live reaction was like, and can you guys believe, do you think if you ask somebody five years ago that impact wrestling is still a thing, they were like, wait, 
they would ask you, wait, it's still around? They haven't gone out of business yet? And I'm like, no, they're still around. They're still hanging on. And here they are. They reached 20 years, which I saw somebody tweeted that at 20 years, Impact has lasted longer than both WCW and ECW. Which, you know, I bet even at those times, people thought they were going to last forever. You know, but see that it has... And to see on top of that, honestly, I even said this on the pot, on the reaction show. I think I think I like Mike Tanay and Don West as good. I think they were as good, if not better, than JR and, and, and Jerry, Jerry the King Lawler. That's just me. That's just me. They both have their class, both pairs have their called their classic moments of classic matches. Both of them have good chemistry on there. So I can't really, it's, you know, I, I got to put them up there. If, if JR and I got to say like a one and one, a kind of situation there for JR and, and Jer and Lawler and uh, Don West and Mike Tanay. That's just, that's just me. You know, you I, might, I you might you be onto something. I got to be honest with you. And I know that I'm going to catch a lot of heat for this and that's okay. I always preferred Tony Schiavone over JR. And that's not a knock against uh, Jr., but there's just something about Tony. There's a reason why Tony Schiavone is the he closes each of my episodes. You know what I mean? That at the end of every episode of Duke Loves Wrestling, uh, Tony Schiavone, that's his voice. Yes, he recorded that personally for me wow. to use at the end of each episode. Uh, he, you know, we we had him on the show a couple years back, and it was a, a real nice, comprehensive uh, conversation about his career. Um, I just I've always been a big Tony Schiavone fan. I respect Jr. He's a Hall of Famer. He he deserves the accolades, but his commentary is just not for me. Um, it would have been interesting to hear Tony and in, in the King. I think that would have been very very interesting. But um, when you talk about Don West and Mike Tenay, that's just more my style of commentary. So I agree with you hundred percent. I think highly underrated. Highly underrated folks there um, and definitely a also, great combination. Um, while we're on the topic, uh, go support Don West in his fight against lymphoma. Uh, there's a link. There's a there's a link for it somewhere on Twitter. I, I, they mentioned it on the on the um, on the show. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but you will keep him in your prayers and hope him, hope he beats this thing. Yeah, I mean, Don, Don West is a guy that is so beloved, has contributed so much positivity to the world. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough to see him go through what he's going through right now. But certainly anyone who can contribute, help out over there, please do. Uh, good yeah. call. Good call. Um, you know, I, I wonder about something here because I'm, I'm over here watching AEW. You know, uh -huh. just just flipping through and, and popping in from now and then, because I do have friends there. I do have people that I respect there. Uh -huh. And I just talked about Tony Schiavone. I love Tony Schiavone. So, of course, I pop in from time to time to just, just to hear Tony call wrestling, because for so long he hadn't done that. Um, right. And I see New Japan and I know uh -huh. AEW New Japan got this thing going on. And I see New Japan getting opportunities to, quote unquote, invade and you know, whoop on some of the AEW folks on the on the TV shows there, Rampage and Dynamite. And it gets me to thinking. Impact Wrestling. 
mm-hmm. was completely buried by AEW, and not just by AEW, by t- by Tony Khan himself. The president yes. of AEW took time to go on to Impact Wrestling's television show on Access TV yep. and bury them for almost a year straight. And Kenny Omega yes. was rounding the bases and doing the same thing. He became Impact champion and then didn't even have the decency to drop the belt to somebody from Impact Wrestling. He had to do it to Christian, who's technically under contract at AEW. So just complete disrespect. They completely tried to destroy Impact Wrestling. And Scott Tried. D. Moore, I know Tried. you're listening. I still find you to be just completely unacceptable. Um, it was a it was a it was a Benedict Arnold job through and through. And I I hold you solely responsible for that nonsense. Scott D. Moore, you know what I'm talking about. But I wonder about something. What's that? How do you feel about the fact that New Japan Pro Wrestling, this this quite frankly rinky dink promotion that no one has ever heard of. They have the smallest market share that you'll see for a major promotion in this world. No one the gives world a United damn States. about no, the world. No one gives a damn about New Japan Pro Wrestling. It is it is a niche of a niche. It is the it is the the cyst on top of a pimple on top of a body. Wow. That's that's New Japan Pro Wrestling's market share. Okay, they okay. have made such little growth over the past couple of years. Considering the way that people try to talk about them who are inside the bubble, you would think New Japan Pro Wrestling was taking over the world, and that's just quite frankly not true. Um, they they are a small blip on the screen, quite frankly. For AEW to show them enough respect to allow New Japan Pro Wrestling stars to get some heat on their television pro, uh, programming, but yet they would not allow Impact Wrestling the same type of respect. How do you feel about that? Uh, okay, so as a guy who... I, I My favorite wrestler is a member, is in New Japan, uh, Kota Ibushi. Um, and the thing about it is that I, I love, I'm never going to stop loving Kota Ibushi, but that's that's not what we're talking about. The thing about uh, New Japan was I came across New Japan in 2017 with the Omega Okada match they had at Wrestle Kingdom. And I, like a lot of people, were caught in that, you know, whirlwind of, you know, watching Kenny Omega and following his steps and then encountering... Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tetsuya Naito, and like I said, and Kazuchika Okada and Haruki Goto and, and Tomohiro Ishii and Minoru Suzuki and all these, you know, great stars. I got in that loop, you know, but now after seeing that, now granted, my opinion for it has a change. I barely watch any New Japan right now. I only watch the big matches, you know, whatever big matches there are. Mostly, I find myself not watching it because there's a crowd, but they can't make any noise because of uh, COVID, over, COVID restrictions over there. Like, everybody has to just clap, you know, along. And every now and then you hear a gasp, or so to speak, you know. And it's, it's so hard to watch it. Although they did deliver one of my matches of the year last year at Wrestling Dotaku with Will Ospreay versus uh, Shingo Takagi. Um, 
But other than that, like, it's kind of sad because clearly, what this tells me is clearly he has no respect for nostalgia. Uh, Tony Khan does. Not as much as he thinks he does. Now, he does. Don't get me wrong. He does like nostalgia. You know, he does. No, Tony, he has Tony Schiavone. He has, uh, he brought in DDP for a little bit. He had, he has Sting, you know, he has, he has Taz there. He has JR there. He has Axum. He has Jerry Lynn as a coach. He has Axum nostalgia there. But he doesn't have the, the nostalgia for the, the business itself, for the sport itself. Because if he did, he would realize that, you know, Impact, TNA Impact was at one point, like, everybody was going there. Impact, if you really think about it, what Impact Wrestling was in, like, 2002 and, like, from, like, the early 2000s, that's, that's what AEW is now. Everybody was, like, coming off the street and going there, essentially, you know? Like, people were doing WWE, where people were just coming to WWE. People were coming... For leaving WWE essentially and coming to Impact, they were, they were, they were leaving ECW, they were leaving WCW, coming to Impact and making names for themselves, you know, or coming from Ring of Honor. And he's come, which you know he now owns. So the fact that you have all this, you know, respect for WCW and for all that stuff, which is good, you know. But you don't remember the little things. You know what I'm starting to think? I think maybe Tony Khan thought what a lot of people on 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 Twitter think when it comes to Impact Wrestling. They think it's still dead. They think it's just it's just dead and just needs to just keeps throwing shovel on a grave, you know. But little do people know, and the stars of Impact will tell you, the wrestlers of Impact will tell you. This company is alive and well. They named a pay-per-view hard to kill. Do you believe that? What no other company is so defiant in its ability to stay alive and to deliver some of the best professional wrestling it can than naming a pay-per-view about, hey, I know you guys tried to kill this company, but but you guys keep failing. And like he Duke said, they tried. He tried to kill that company uh, two years ago during the pandemic. He tried so hard and he failed. He failed. Because if he really wanted to, he could have bought it. He could have. I'm sure he could have bought it out. I'm sure. But the fact he said, I bet he's probably thinking now they'll die on their own and look at them. Look at them now. They're good. They're good. So, like I said, him... I don't know why he didn't do that. I think the only people from Impact that he brought over, even though I don't, I guess they're technically Impact, were the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson, Machine Gun Carl Anderson, and Luke and Doc Gallows. He brought them over from Impact, but they were only there to help Kenny, to help Kenny essentially become world champion in Impact. And then, you know, fun fact: Do you know why Eddie Edwards turned heel? Eddie what? Edwards turned. Do you know why Eddie Edwards turned heel? Do why is that? Eddie Edwards turned heel because when Kenny Omega was world champion, he won the world championship from Rich Swan. Then he had all these other defenses. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? 
Eddie Edwards is the is the is he calls himself Mister Anything Is Possible. He also says he's like the fake. He was the top babyface in Impact, other than Rich Swan. He was the top babyface, other than and other than Rich Swan and Josh Alexander. I'm thinking, okay, at some point, Eddie Edwards is going to get a shot, right? He's going to get a shot at at uh, at at Kenny Omega, and even if he doesn't win, he's at least going to get a shot. And, you know, one pay-per-view after another special, after another special came. And then I think, well, if it's not Eddie Edwards, Moose should get a shot. And Moose did get a shot. He got a shot at it against all odds. Sammy Callahan got a shot at, um, at Slammiversary. You know, I'm thinking, okay, something, okay, you did Moose. You did Sammy Callahan. So you're going to do Eddie Edwards, right? You're going to drop it to Eddie Edwards. You know, he's the impact guy. He's Mr. Impact Wrestling. Well, Moose is Mr. Impact Wrestling, but he's the fa- he's like the top babyface in Impact Wrestling. And if anybody's going to get it done, it's going to be Eddie. And I was wrong. They didn't give it to him. He cut in his promo that he cut after he turned. He said, like, yeah, you know, there's the fact that they that they turned their back. He said, effectively, they turned on me. They turned their back on me and decided, you know, that. No, I'm not worthy of this, which to me is completely ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. There's no way that I, I can't believe that. You know, the more and more you say it, I'm starting to think like, y'all really, did y'all intentionally not give him that title shot? Because for me, first of all, the matchup of Kenny, of Kenny Omega and Eddie Edwards is absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. The fact that we didn't get it is, for, quite frankly, highway robbery. That's that's just how I feel about it. I thought it was ridiculous. I, I thought agree it was absolutely you. ridiculous. I agree they, with you 100%. Kenny Gilmaker versus Eddie Edwards. I agree with you 100%. And it's just an example of, again, who in their right mind would allow this to happen on the impact wrestling side and why? What, how, how much were people paid off to, to allow a company to come in and try to bury you? You know what I mean? And, and not even try. I mean, they they buried impact wrestling. And thank goodness. Impact is on a network that's owned by such a major corporation like Anthem Sports. And shout out to my friends at Anthem Sports. I'll tell you, this this Scott D. Moore, I'm telling you, everybody over there, you already know how I feel about this guy. I think he is the worst. Not because I don't think he's good at what he does. He's very good at what he does. And I think Scott has done some great things in wrestling. He's helped a lot of people out. I don't even think he's a bad guy. But the moment he allowed another corporation, another company, a punk like here's, Tony here's Khan to come on the TV and bury Impact Wrestling, that's when Scott D. Moore let me know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can never trust this guy again. I want this guy out of Impact Wrestling until he learns how to how to be a loyal person and stop being uh, a, a paid off uh, Benedict Arnold, because that's exactly how I feel about this guy. Please continue. This. Here's the worst part about it. Here's the worst part about it. They hadn't even been around a year when they were doing this. AEW wasn't even like, was like, in it's not even in its adolescence when he was coming on here trying to bear it. And you keep saying try. Like to me, that try is a figurative word. They tried. Everything tried. Everybody tried to bury this company for like, even before, you know, like I honestly, honestly, I thought the end was when 
Victory Road 2011, Jeff Hardy and Sting, when Jeff Hardy came out there uh, in, uh, intoxicated. And shout out, and I hope Jeff Hardy gets better, I swear. But I thought that was the end of that company. I really did. And the fact that it it went beyond there and the fact that uh, we got essentially redemption for Jeff Hardy in the form of um, not just Jeff Hardy, but Matt Hardy in the form of the broken universe, which I thoroughly enjoyed, was amazing. You know, it shows like the will of this company, not just the company, but the will that the people within that company want the company to succeed. It's not just, like you said, I, I, I know how you feel about Scott Demore, but to me, I think it goes beyond Scott Demore. I think the workers, the crew members, they want the, the talent, they want this company to succeed, even if they have to do it themselves. And, and that's why I love the company so much. It's a very much a, we are a group of people who are going to push this company to success and make this company last as long as it's possible, even if it kills us. And I have nothing but respect for everyone in Impact Wrestling. Everyone in there. Agreed. I have I have nothing but respect for everyone in there, except for in the wrestling sense, not the personal sense, but in the wrestling sense, uh, Sammy, spitting in the air and catching it with your face, you'll never get my respect doing disgusting things like that. You need to clean it up. Clean up your act, pal. Clean it up. Listen, Isaac, you, you've given some uh, a compelling case, and I think for sure I'll definitely have to watch Slammiversary this weekend. I think that it definitely sounds like a show worth watching, especially for nothing else than for the nostalgia, which yes, I'm all absolutely. for that. I'm all for that. Which Why don't you let everybody that know? They've always done well. They've always Impact done has well. always done well. They respect like, their I've, history. They sure yeah, do. I told somebody, I told somebody, like, it's amazing how they can bring back things like they brought back America's most wanted with Chris Harris and James storm. And it was like, and it felt good. You know, they brought back, they created decay again with Rosemary, Jessica Havoc, crazy Steve, and now black to roots. I was like, and it feels good. You know, it feels good to see. It doesn't feel washed. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like, I don't know if I want to see this again. You know, they bring back nostalgia and it makes sense and it feels necessary. It doesn't feel overdone. And I, and I love it. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Why don't you let everybody know what's the best way to keep up with you and also that wonderful podcast that you have? So if you want to keep up with me, I am on Twitter. Feel free to hop in my mentions right after this because of whatever you may or may not like. I don't I don't care either way <laughs> whether you liked it, like what I said, or feel free to just hop in and discuss. I'm, I'm always open for a good discussion. But find me at the outlier Isaac on Twitter. That's I-S-A-A-C. Um, and then you can find myself and Anthony on Fridays on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, the Unbounded Podcast. We talk about everything from sports to music and everything in between. So feel free to join us. We can't wait to see you. Folks, as always, be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Love Wrestling.